Dr. Mims, how are you this morning, sir? I'm doing good. Been running a little short of sleep getting ready for this sale, but it's happening and it's going to happen whether we're ready or not. <laughs> That's the funny thing about that when you put one of them on a calendar, isn't it? It is, and, and most people don't realize the work that goes on behind the scenes and how much time it takes to get all the paperwork organized and I did all the videoing and editing, and that's a very time-consuming deal. You appreciate those people that do that for a living. If you ever get involved trying to get it done on 100 cattle that are clipped in nine days, and it's 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 part of it, though, and it's a sign of the times. People want to see pictures. Yeah, they do. I, I can tell you, I can definitely relate to that. I have a front row seat to what you just described every single day of my life for about the past 10 years. I'll watch yeah. my wife. She'll be out all day, and then it's usually 3 o'clock the next morning by the time she gets stuff uploaded and sorted for guys. And that, That's an immense amount of work just to make an event happen for sure. And, and unless you've been on the end you're describing, Boy, oh boy, people really just don't have a complete understanding of what actually goes into that to make it happen, you know. So yeah, I, I know about where you're at, Mike. <laughs> Hang in there. Yeah, well, it's our, it'll be our 26th sale, and uh, we think we have it down every year, and it's still, <laughs> there's always bumps in the road, and probably the toughest thing is the things that fall out, you know, joint issues and just problems that you got to pull out and try to present a honest set of cattle to everybody. But uh, we had unusual conditions this year. It's been extremely windy. I saw a blow of my lifetime Sunday, and we were trying to video in the middle of it. There's one of the videos that show you can barely see the animals with the blowing dirt and bedding. But uh, that hampered our, our skills on the pictures. We were videoing a lot in 40 to 50 mile an hour winds on three different days. But it's going to happen, and hopefully we'll have pretty weather on Saturday and the cattle are rested and where people can look at them. But, well, but, if it's uh, any console, go, go ahead. Oh, I was just—I'm just saying it's a nice set of cattle, and you always miss the top end of your previous year or two that you can't quit thinking about. But there's always new matings, different variety, and different mix of cattle that uh, that show up the following year. And I'd say this year that's probably the deepest set we had. I reviewed videos last night, and we've got really good ones scattered all the way to the bottom of the sale order and that's that's a little unusual. Usually you run out of gas about halfway through and just hope gets get the cattle moved, but there's competitive animals all the way through on this group and and we're we're happy that the efforts look the way they do. You bet. Uh, well that's that's where I was headed, Doc uh 
you know, conditions are, are tough. It doesn't ever fly just right or how you'd imagine it getting ready for one of these. But for whatever it's worth to you, um, you guys have set such a precedence of quality for so many years. And your donor battery and the success of the cattle that come out of that sale, uh, I know probably you uh, – you're always a lot like myself or, or Matt or anybody else that's on this thing right now that's um, sold cattle at, at a certain level. You're always questioning, did I do enough? Was this good enough? But I, I can assure you <laughs> uh, they're probably still going to come to your sale just based on all those years' worth of uh, reputation and high-quality livestock that you put through that sale ring. So, um, you know, we always want to make it just right, but... And I you're always appreciative of the crowd that shows up. And, you know, it seemed like we have less early traffic and the bigger crowds every year. And I guess that's just a sign that they know there will be something there they want to see. But, uh, yeah, we like putting the big pictures on the barn wall, too, like hitting in that very top hole at some of these shows. We hit a string a few years ago at just, like, good luck just chased us down and beat us up and you know it's, <laughs> it's been a little tough for the last seven eight years i mean it's not that we hadn't had several grand steers hit the big hole over the last three years but it seemed like there for a few years every time you turn around you want another one and that that we knew was just pure old good luck but uh makes you remember some of the old donor cows through the years that had the ability to make those special ones. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, tell us a little bit about that, Mike. Tell us how you got started. Give us just a little bit of history on things. Um, obviously, you know, you are a veterinarian with a, a strong background in reproduction uh, in that, but how did all this come about? What what on that, like, take us back yeah. to college days and maybe go forward. I grew, I grew up with cattle was just part of our life. We run, we run a lot of mama cows, and I grew up here in the Texas Panhandle, and and went off to college, and finally got out of vet school, and was down in Central Texas, and you know had no place to handle any cattle. Finally moved up to Hereford in 88 and got a piece of lease ground and, and uh, bought, first thing I did was went and bought some cows and and it started there. I grew up showing steers and I thought many times I would love to have had calves as good as the culls are now just to show for myself. We would raise what we could raise and buy what we could afford and never had anything special to show myself and you know judge livestock in college and just had an interest in it put a set of cows together and you know nearly immediately started doing some embryo work on my cattle and client cows and of course that has about consumed me now but uh i guess the first special old cow that I had was a Diamond Bar E. Cunha cow that, that uh, 
I sold my first $10,000 calf out of, and I wished I had her back today because she had worked to the day's bulls. And, and then, you know, through the years, I, I put a few cattle together uh, or picked up some donors. And you remember, I remember the first $10,000 steer. I remember the first $30,000 steer. I remember the first $50,000 steer. And and the, the ladder, you just kept climbing the ladder until it got stupid, it seemed like. But one thing I've noticed about some of these donors through the years is good cows are good cows. You might have to change bulls to stay with the times, but I think back of, oh, there was an old Cunyep, an all-mix cow, come out of Montana, got bred to Sugar Ray the first year he was out, you know, her last calf was a set of twins at 17 years of age, and he was a breed champion to power plant. <laughs> you know, we go from sugar race to power plant and have have three breed champions a grand and and it's scattered over the years. And that's how those good cows are. You just you may have to change with a trend, but uh, you know the. The, the real special ones were the ones that I bred the females on, you know, had a generation or two on the females and then then made the, those grand steers. But I sure picked up, I partnered on some special donors through the years that, uh, that put some of those top calves together. Uh, the mother of the Denver steer in 09, uh, was an egg producer that we we that cow made over a thousand viable embryos in her lifetime and not many of the of the real good cows will do that. But that uh, is absolutely amazing. And you know we uh, right now that ten cow that we lost a few years ago, her daughters are in production and. Looking back, you realize how special one female can be through their own, through their daughters. And we never sold a high-dollar steer out of that cow, but her daughters have sure produced. And and uh, you know, my top donors right now are daughters to that cow. Uh, and then you know, the N117 cow had the grand that at Fort Worth and then had two consecutive class winners. So she basically had three consecutive class winners and a grand at, at Fort Worth. And, you know, cows like that don't come around very often. Been in this no. a long time, and there's only a handful of those cows that can just do it to every bull you try them to, and they'll do it time after time after time. But... uh you know, cows come and go, and eggs run out in inventory, and you keep moving on, and and uh, some of them, are, some a lot of cows are one-time wonders and never make another one, and some of them just consistently nibble on the top end of your production group, and you know, honestly, those are those are the cows that keep you in business, the ones that. That that are fairly consistent and can make them 
sellable and competitive and, and not just have one freak in their lifetime. But, you bet. You know, you, you touched on a lot of stuff, Doc, that I was going to ask questions on, so this is good. I, I was actually going to say, you know, it seems like bulls kind of come and go and the trends shift with those things, but your baseline always just seems to stay the same, and, and you you really qualified that. I mean, them really good females are eternal for sure, and it, a lot of times, yeah. you know, each generation's better than the previous. And, um, and you realize that when you dip back and try to use some old genetics, thinking, you know, those were really good, and then you put some on the ground, you think, ooh, We've changed a bunch. <laughs> <laughs> hey, on that note, though, I will tell you, um, I grew up with the Simmental breed. You'll appreciate this. I am quite certain these are probably the first set of embryos Dr. Chuck Hannon ever uh, ever did as direct transfer quick thaws. Right. They, they were on the, the two-time Denver champion, uh, Circle B Foxy Lady that uh, Ross Foxworthy owned. And uh, when Fox dispersed, I bought those things uh, out of his dispersal. And, I mean, they were so outdated, Doc. They, I think I gave $30 an embryo for them. Nobody wanted them. I mean, yep. 60 inch, red and white, horned, whatever. But what's interesting on that mating, and I've been toying with putting them back in just to basically get what you just described. I remember how great that cow was in her day, and I remember thinking, gosh, I wish we could just get a daughter out of her. But, you know, there's going to be one of these days I feel a little froggy and get the itch, and I might have the right recip there, and we may try to recreate one of them 35 oh, years later. <laughs> I've got eggs put up in the 90s that may go in someday. Uh, one particular mating had a had a steer that uh, I think he won 12 shows out of 12 shows and then ended up being a division winner at, at Louisville. And I've still got egg mates of that steer. <laughs> but the, but the, the sisters, and I sold every sister I had, every sister that went to a producer that had any know-how ended up being a donor. And every one of them produced, and I'm sitting on those eggs, and I just hadn't, you know, you you get 4,000 eggs in inventory, and you're running 200 recepts. It's hard to get them all in, and you're trying to see the new ones that you're excited about. It seems like you just keep passing over, but uh, I'd be dangerous if I had 1,000 recept cows to dump everything <laughs> <laughs> but uh no good is good you might have to bring them back to the style of the day but uh if they were truly good cattle you just gotta you gotta take what makes them good and put them in the right package absolutely that's uh i'm glad that you really touched on that and described that donor battery and its history because that you know, there's a big disconnect, and I think finally the industry's starting to recognize that a little more, or at least you see more of it. 
guys put more emphasis on them better cows and cow families and kind of qualifying them more and more, it seems. You, you know, like my, my tenure in the business isn't as long as yours, um, but, you know, 25, 30 years ago, you didn't hear all this discussion on the cow side. And a lot of us uh, that cows knew that, right? But well, we man, I, to see I remember back in the, in the early 90s, I was still trying to make a lot of Cunha daughters, and I had a man tell me, he said, don't ever get rid of a Cunha daughter till she's five years old, because he said, you don't know which one's the best one until then, <laughs> which that's probably three calves and a chance to see what they can do, and I thought, well, I'm smarter than that, and I put a whole bunch of Cunha Angus embryos in, and raise a big group of heifers and boy I went in there and I cherry picked the the best end of them things and sold the rest. Well I start getting phone calls a year later. Boy you ain't gonna believe what this thing you I bought from you had. Well when it's about the fifth phone call you got you say, Yeah I, I do too. Well what I had done is I had sold those flatter more feminine looking ones and kept the steerier looking ones and guess what? Every one I sold I produced every one I kept. And that was a good lesson thirty years ago that a cow's gotta look like a cow. And uh and and granted there's been a lot of successes with some of these real terminal looking females because we have enough variety of bulls now that we can we can fix it, you know, the BDR bull, for instance. Uh, I didn't have a TH carrier in the herd uh, when I sold that bull to Brandon Horn. He was clean. I didn't have anything to use him on. Well, guess what? Everybody else did, and he worked. But, uh, you know, there's a lot of different ways to roll the dice in this business, and sometimes you look across the fence and think, I need to be doing it like that guy's doing it. And I guess they're looking back over the fence my way, too. So you make decisions, you move with them, and, and hope what you put on the ground and through the sale ring is what you're trying to produce. You bet. You know, that's a funny thing, too, about perspective that you just mentioned, right? Oh, not to sound cliche, but you described that fence and... and the grass that grows on either side of it. That is the one thing, you know, I wanted to mention, like with your guys' deal, it, it seems like you just picked a target and you kind of just moved towards it, bred towards it, and look what it's evolved to, you know. No yeah. doubt the history of your guys' program um, is really and truly one of the great stories in the industry. That's why we're so excited that... Uh, you'd take a few minutes and just describe a little bit of this for us. Because there may be a lot of people, don't they don't know your story, you know. They don't know and, how it started. And, you know, I think, I mean, I, I enjoy the end successes of this thing, but I think my greatest pleasure of this whole deal from producing the embryos through these cattle going to their final show, I think, I think the greatest pleasure is looking at those calves when they're dolled up like they 
like they are right before sale time and you just feel good about what you made. You know, they weren't here last year. Look, we put these in the pen and then I moved back to my, my regular job and <laughs> and try to get try to get caught up. But you you said something about keeping your eye on the target. You know, I think breeding cattle's the same way. You 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 look at that female and you think what would improve that cow, and then you you match that with the bull that will change that cow in a positive direction. And, and vice versa, I, I got to where I quit asking people what kind of cows to use a particular bull on because all I got was a description of the of the perfect cow. I, so I would ask, <laughs> what what are the what are his holes? Where does he need to be protected? Well, nope. he says you know, things you know probably just keep them on them real clean chested cows. Okay, well then I need to know that. Uh, and you know, a lot of times you're you're trying to move in the right direction on each each aspect of that uh, you know physical evaluation of how that animal could be improved and do it from the bull or the side, you know the cow or the bull side and and uh, you know you're 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 basically putting puzzle pieces together and trying to get all the all the all the good pieces in the same package on all of them, and we know from seeing multiple flush mates that you can have an absolute great freak and you can have a dog and they can be full brothers. But uh, if you get enough of the right pieces in the genetic pool, no matter how much you stir it up, it's if if you don't if you've got enough of the right genetics all built into those things, you're going to get consistency. And that's what I've seen from lining these females up is is uh, you get three good cows in the background, you're not going to have many throwaways. And yeah. and and that that's a lesson that takes years to learn. You know, if they're an outlier and making them good because they're the oddball, they're probably not going to produce real good. They're going. I had a. I had a guy tell me one time, you know, you got to start right if you're going to end right, and, I mean, you just hit that right on the head. You know, well, I have you can start. Ask me what I need to flush my cow to, and you won't be honest with them and say, "Hey, won't we trade your cow in and get you a better one?" You know, but <laughs> you don't because everybody's putting their honest effort into making the best they can make with what they have to work with, and I understand that, but uh, just like discarding embryos, you know, they may have been at the top of the priority list three years ago, and they need to go in the trash now, but yep. you got to be realistic to, to ever to ever advance. You've got to be truthful to yourself. This isn't good enough. I need to I need to move to the next step, and sometimes that means trying new things. And that's right. That's that's absolutely right. So, like through all the years, Mike, and you've owned a lot of great cows. 
and you've owned a lot of cows that, that change the trajectory of uh, specifically the Texas steer market. I mean, you guys have put a hurting on that, that majors down there for a number of years. But And I know this is probably a tough question, and I know it's loaded, but I want to know, I'm sure Matt wants to know, and I can assure you this audience is going to want to know, we all got a personal favorite. So over the years, what is your all-time favorite donor cow? For any reason why, maybe she raised the steer, or maybe it was one you built all the daughters off of, or, or whatever. But what cow comes to mind? Oh, you know, I had a little heads up on this question. I've been thinking about it ever, <laughs> ever since. I know and that I'm, that was the that was the bomb. <laughs> and, yeah, and and there's not a straight answer, and I'll tell you why. Life is a cycle, and different cows were special as you moved through time. The the 80 cow from Diamond Bar E was special in her time. 36 was a cow that showed up in a group of recepts and just blew my mind. I called the guy I bought the cows from back. I said, do you want this cow back? I don't know what she's doing in this group, and he had bought them to trade on we don't even know what she was she was she was number one donor for a while 401 for a while 7063 the n117 cow you know for multiple good steers that cow you know is just impossible to replace uh the 10 cow through her daughters is going to be one that's honestly impossible to replace and uh the nine sixty three cow that's still living i've never I've never dealt with a cow like that one that you don't know what you got until the very end we had a we had a steer that was born in the in the spring that didn't fit our our sale that's coming up this week you know this was a year ago and we tried selling that calf for three months. Nobody wanted him. I finally talked a friend into taking him and putting him on feed for a little while and just find him a home. I said, I don't even care about the money at all. Just get him a home. He's reserved black cross at Phoenix and fourth overall, and you couldn't give him that calf away when he weighed 600 pounds. And they come out nowhere out of that cow, and uh, that's the mother to the Denver Grand, and and then we had maybe the best one ever born that drops 165,000. That that calf got caught in the COVID shutdown. But uh, at the same time, there was two steers in Texas homes that were going to show slick, and and I'm not going to name them over over this, but two 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 of the biggest steer evaluators in the state of Texas had them in their hands and they both said they were going to win Houston with them and those all that was three of three one year uh there there's not many cows can do that and uh literally those things will come to themselves when they have to and it blows my mind how you can't read those things at earlier stages in life always and you know that that honestly might be if, if 
if I had to, if I had to pick a single, probably that 963 cow. But uh, no. but there's been a lot of cows that were special to me. Uh, uh, you know, but <laughs> through the years, there, there were some of those cows that sure enough influenced the direction of things. And uh, the old 602 cow, you know, that that cow was known industry-wide. And, and uh, you know, the first $50,000 steer that I sold came through a granddaughter. But that goes back to the our previous discussion. Good is good, and line up the good females as deep as you can line them, and eventually... You know you're gonna you're gonna hit the bullseye dead on, and uh, yep. you know uh, calling cattle back is the hardest thing to do because you see good in a lot of them, and it's it's tough it's tough when you give up on one and move on, but uh, that's something you got to do in this industry too, is uh, not not keep thinking that I'll, I'll remember a cow I had that I, I told myself I'm not going to flush her till she proves she deserves it. Well, guess what? I sold a son out of her that proved that I should have been flushing her her whole life. <laughs> and I sold her as a bred at 10 years old and she died calving the next year at the new owners and I look back at that one female, and I regret having ever not pulled embryos on her, and I didn't because I just never saw that one incredible one, and and uh, and she was she was out of the old Cunyapanol cow and back to Meyer, and uh, you know it's years ago, but one son of her produced multiple multiple winners. And the cow was gone before any of that came out, so you couldn't even back up and <laughs> go buy the cow back or whatever. But uh, it's uh, it gets to be a little little tough to it gets to be a little tough to make all perfect decisions in in this deal. But uh, again, keep your eye on the target and keep keep trying to improve the average of the herd and try to try to produce the best you can produce every year and and be happy with the results is I think the way you have to look at it and, and uh, everybody's out there trying to do the same thing and you know every year it gets tougher and there's more good ones raised and I started saying 15 years ago, any, anybody can raise a great one nowadays because they can take one female and through embryo transfer, make a whole bunch of good ones, and and uh, and they maybe can just look over the fence and see what somebody else is breeding to and make it happen. But uh, eventually that well dries up, and you got to have something to fall back on, and and. Uh, you know, keep a program going. You kind of have to keep. You got to. You just have to keep progressing. You can't walk on level ground. You got to climb a ladder. Yeah, well, that's for sure. This this thing changes daily. 
Um, and like he said, you know, the advances in reproduction now, boy, you could be in a totally different spot a year from now than, than where you're standing for sure. Um, oh, yeah. So tell us, Mike, um, what uh, what do you think, I, and maybe this is another loaded question, just visiting with you, I think I know the answer, but if you weren't doing what you're you're involved with right now with your your practice and the cow herd and the donor battery and sale what what else do you think you would be doing i know i probably dropped another bomb on you but i'm, I'm oh, curious to know this. i'd i'd be somehow involved with cattle I, you know i i grew up you know we didn't we weren't we weren't blessed with a lot of country and a lot of a lot of monetary value, but but I like cattle, and and I it would have been something to do with that. You know, if I hadn't got in vet school, I might have looked into the extension service. I, I really don't know, but that that would have been at that stage in my life. That would have been probably logical until something else came along, maybe. But uh, I. I was asked, or well, it was discussed in a committee 30 years ago here in the county to get some new blood on the county livestock committee, and my name came up, and somebody says, yeah, let's, they said, Mike, could you go talk to him, and he likes cows, and, or it was actually uh, a different guy, but anyway, he said, likes cows, he loves cows. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't see myself ever not being around cattle, whether, you know, whether it had been something totally different than this or, or not. But uh, I was able to start small with some leased acres and growing up, and and you know, it's always a battle to find a home for as many cows as I'm trying to run. And, <laughs> I was shocked during the COVID deal when they had a COVID assistance deal and we had to prove inventories. I didn't know how many cattle I had. I'm talking from baby calves all the way up to some culls sitting in the feed yard to growing heifers, to recepts, to bulls. To, I didn't know how many I had. And when I got done with that report, and you could have taken every list of cattle and gone and verified it, bank style there were 626 head of cattle and i thought no wonder i've got on my tax return that i spent a quarter of a million on feed <laughs> and i'm not doing it on near enough acres to keep them all at home most of the time so it uh it's a constant struggle we're dry right now and i'm weeks away of running out of winter stalks and and i'm sure we're going to depend on feed yard ration to get us by unless it starts raining so but back to your question it i would have i would have uh i would have always somehow been tied into cattle somehow some way yeah i figured i figured that's You know, I, I thought that's probably what you would say, Doc. I just, uh, 
Uh, it's always fun to know. You know, I mean, myself, I thought at one time, you know, maybe uh, I could do something in the sports industry, and then I, I realized, boy, I'm just not as athletic as I dreamed I might have been. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, it's a uh, – we all well, have something that changes. What your, yeah, you got to figure out what your passions are, and that's what's going to drive you. I, I got married in 95 and hadn't been married very long, and I had one straw $300 semen left on a bull. And I knew the perfect time to breed a particular cow was about 2 in the morning, so I set my alarm to go get up and go away out of this cow with the very last straw of this bull I had and the last that was available. And my poor new wife thought she had, that I had lost my mind. And, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what are you doing? I said, i got to go to the clinic and breed a donor. And uh, anyway, we laugh about it now, but, uh, you know, there's no end to the effort you can put in. And, you know, if it's not, if it's not a passion, you're not going to, you're not going to put the effort in it takes to keep on going in it. You know, eventually, eventually, if you don't stay caught up and advancing all the time, you get behind. Uh if you're sitting still, you're backing up. I think it's the way the saying goes. Yeah, well, there's a lot of truth to that. I mean, the guys that are willing to go in, and, and you can just look visually across any industry, really, but especially this cattle thing, and the guys that are willing to, to do that, you know, and, and actually verbalize that in a conversation is one thing, but actually doing it every day. That's another, I mean, they don't have to tell you the hours they're doing. Their cattle reflect that, their place reflects that, and their results reflect it. You know, and mm-hmm. them are the guys that are, are truly have that burning fire inside of them to just go do it every day. Yeah. Um, it, it is. It's a lot of hours, and a lot of folks don't uh, don't understand what it actually takes to create one of those things and not even sell them, just be able to have them to offer them, you know. A lot of man hours involved. What? Well, um, go ahead. No, you go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, with the number of cattle you have and as many balls as you've got in the air, you know what? Uh, we all got to have a guy, and we got to have somebody hanging around there to to help us make it work. Who would you say, Doc, would be like your your biggest support staff or your right arm or the people you depend on every single day to to help you facilitate what you're doing? Well, uh, Pete Moberly's been with me for 21 years, and and uh, when he showed up, I was I was done with employees. I wasn't going to hire anybody. I was going cut back to what I could handle totally on my own and and I just wasn't going to deal with people any longer was tired of tired of uh, tired of the issues and and he's he's tended to everything that I didn't have time to do the last 21 years, uh, he's gone through a liver transplant, and that that got me to thinking. Uh, 
you know what the end game was if if it was all back in your lap so you know and we've got a lot of other things going on through the years that you know we we're raising females for the female sale and have the donors unlimited sale which has been moved to May 20th I believe it is this year instead of the end of April and that's a major event that takes a lot of time and effort just to put the females together for plus this steer market and and so you know we have two major sales to get ready for every year that require a lot of people and uh, you know those cattle got to be prepped for pictures and pictured and cataloged and everything else and that's all after the work's done for on the repro side but uh and the raising side and uh michael and sarah's been heading up uh, getting the steers ready and and helping get the females ready for the donors unlimited sale and and uh you know there's no way a, a small crew can get get this whole thing swung and and it takes an enormous amount of people to to get it done and and uh you know like on the calf sale i just made the determination i wasn't gonna i wasn't gonna micromanage it and uh i let michael get get crew put together and get it done and we're right on schedule and everything's working fine and i was able to keep flushing donors during the day and doing what I had to do and and it and it's rolling underneath underneath me and and uh you know I've got a one of my associates at the vet clinic is about as he's about the best delegator I've ever seen and uh I've learned a lot from him because I used to try to do everything myself and uh I've watched him delegate a lot of things that uh, may require some training to do, but turn it over and quit tying up 100% of your time with what you think you have to do, and that's not always easy when you when you're willing to stay up night and day to get it done right. Uh, it's hard to back off, but my my days of work. 24/7, you know they're they're not where it used to be. I've, I've had clients come to me and tell me I have you have to slow down. I, I went a month one year, got thrown into a situation running the clinic and trying to tend all my cows by myself. And I I didn't get home before midnight for a solid month and didn't get home till three in the morning for eight days during breeding season. I was putting in embryos at three four in the morning just to get finished and and uh I'm I'm through with those days. You know, get organized, get get people capable of helping, quit trying to do it all yourself and and uh had a had a guy offered or asked me about employing a a son in law one year and he said he doesn't know anything but he's willing to learn and I said if he'll make every step I'll make I'll hire him. And he broke out laughing, and I said, what's so funny? He said, Mike, there isn't anybody going to make every step you make. And I said, well, at least try. <laughs> and uh, 
anyway, uh, stories can go on, but, uh, you know, the one good thing about this whole industry is a lot of good cattle people out there and you enjoy dealing with them and, and, uh, you appreciate the compliments that flow your way and you appreciate the people that appreciate good cattle and their willingness to show that through their purchases and without them you're shut down and it's over if if these cattle aren't approved on by the buyers you're you're in the wrong spot and heading in the wrong direction anyway yeah that's right you touched on a lot of really good stuff there doc like boy and i think there's a lot of us that, that fall into that trap too that um Boy, we just feel like we got to conquer the world every single day by ourselves, and you have certainly demonstrated your ability to orchestrate a, a very fine-tuned symphony of people that can just get every single thing done every day. And hey, everybody's going to have a bad day, or we're going to have some bumps. But man, I, I would say in general, for the amount of stuff that you guys got going on around that place. Um, you know, it, it's amazing how well it really does run and, and how smooth you guys can get off such a big event like you're about to do. So on that note, um, tell us a little bit about this calf sale. I uh, I have been through Hereford, Texas quite a bit. In fact, um, I have to get out in that country here in the next month again. Um, I know of a place where I like to eat a steak at, but... Tell us, you know, if, if we're coming club calf shopping, especially uh, a lot of us, you know, that got to travel, you always wonder where the good steakhouse is around there or where a guy should stay or, well, or whatever. Some... Yeah, we basically have two steakhouses. Uh, the established one was the old K-Bobs. It's now called Parsons, and that family started the K-Bobs franchise and then got out of it and renamed and they're a block from the main intersection to the north on 385 and then Dakota's is right on 60 between the intersection and the vet clinic right by close to the Holiday Inn and two main motels Holiday Inn Express and Best Western I think they call it the Red Carpet Inn right there at the main intersection really the only two places that you recommend to people, and and then there's two steakhouses, unless you got a country club membership, and that's also good steaks too. But those are those are both handy spots, and and uh, we've about recovered from the COVID shutdown and staffing issues that really hurt the restaurants. So they're they're all back up and running, and everything's good on that. Of course, we're located right at two miles west on Highway 60 from the 385-60 intersection uh, where the sale and the clinic facilities are. So everything's pretty well strung right there through right down 60 and right at the intersection if you're in town looking for a place to, place to rest or a place to eat. You bet. Well, I will say this. If you can't find a good steak in the, the feedlot capital of the United States, you just don't like steak. <laughs> so well, I don't know that I've ever had a bad one in that in that city. So 
we oh. we ship a lot more out than we than we consume though. <laughs> there's <laughs> over a million there's over a million head of cattle slaughtered a year fed within fifteen miles of where I'm standing right now. And most people don't realize that, but there is a lot of cattle on feed and and uh and of course gets shipped everywhere. Uh, we're three miles from the cow kill plant in the world too. Cavernous beef packers is three miles to the west of us. It it is kind of a, I guess that beef capital of the world is a is a fitting fitting name. Uh, no, for sure. If a guy. The first time I ever drove through there, I can tell you I was absolutely in awe. I mean, everywhere you looked, <laughs> it was just cattle yeah. on the horizon. Um, but it is—it's an incredible sight. Tell us, well, Mike. I, um, go ahead. Oh, I—I I just—I just was going to say that you know, at night the horizons are lit up with lighting around feed yards. And, I heard heard a story of somebody that moved here back oh, 40 years ago that said they showed up in town at night and looked around and thought, well, this is a pretty large town. Sun came <laughs> up the next morning. They said, this is a little bitty town. What were all those lights we saw two miles there, three miles over there, and four that way? Oh, those were all feed yards. They just yeah. looked around and thought, this, this town is... Ten miles wide, you know, but uh, we laughed about it. But go ahead. Oh no, it, it's it's good stuff. I've actually flown um, flown over at night and seen that from the air, and it is it, it's like a country version of Las Vegas almost, you know, except cattle related. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah, we have we have the odor that goes with it. I <laughs> I was flying to Florida to a meeting a few years back and sitting by a lady on the plane. She happened to be black, and and I asked her where she was from. She said Amarillo, and we were flying out Amarillo. I said, did you grow up here? And she said, oh, no, I grew up in Pennsylvania. I said, what brought you to Amarillo? And she said her husband was an engineer with Bell Helicopter, and we get to visiting, and she asked me where I was from. I said, Herford, Texas. She said, I went through there once. It was nearly at dark, and she said there was so much dust I could barely see the highway. And I said, "Dust?" And she said, "Yeah, dust. I mean, like I had to, I had to really watch to see where the stripes were on the highway right out there on the east side of town." And I said, "Dust?" And she said, "What? Well, yeah." And I said, "Ma'am, that wasn't dust." And she said, what was it? I said, that was pulverized, aerosolized cow manure. And she, <laughs> she, and she, and she choked a little bit right there. But if we're driving, we to get smelling around in the evenings. We do get some drift off of them, but that's part of life here, I guess. That's all right. The end result's pretty tasty, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah. so. Well, it's a good area to feed cattle. We're at 4,000 foot elevation. It's cool at night, even if it gets blistering hot in the daytime. And 
cattle feed good here and we're far enough south we don't have the we don't often have the killing blizzard storms that can bury up cattle in feed pens and we do have them but they're not a every year multiple time a year event during the winter and it's just a good area to feed cattle uh, even if we're having to ship in grain that's not produced locally nowadays. We used to produce it all here. Water water tables depleting and forages have become more a priority for the water we have than grains, so we ship in the grain and, and continue to feed cattle here because of the location and the climate. But Right. Yeah. No, it's just a, for the audience listening listening in here on this if you guys have never been to this area that we've been talking about it, it is something to see if you're really as in love with the industry as every one of us on this podcast are it, it is kind of like the mount rushmore of just generalized cattle or any kind of iconic uh location in our country you could go visit for a cattle enthusiast uh, hereford texas really is a cool place and uh, well, Michael, another thing, another thing that's happening right now, uh, Texas Tech just put in a new vet school that's located at Amarillo, and uh, they've got their second group of students in school now, and the third group's been selected, and we are in the process of constructing a, a very large facility that will that will be utilized as the food animal teaching center for the Texas Tech Vet School. It's uh, me and my partner building it, and then they will rotate the vet students through this in the large animal program over here. Uh, and uh, so that's kind of a new thing that's going on. Time it's completed, it'll be about a five and a half million dollar deal that's uh, really really sucking sucking on financial funds right now pretty pretty hard but <laughs> it uh we're we're in the process of construction and may of twenty four the first students show up for that and that that's for the whole area the whole state of Texas and the region that whole program is designed to take applicants from these rural West Texas and Texas communities that that are willing to go back home and and fill a need that's not being met. You know, we've produced so many veterinarians that end up in a a strip mall small animal clinic and there's nobody out there, you know, the average veterinarian doing doing cattle work is getting older and older and older because the young ones have so much debt coming out of school they have to go get a high paying city job to stay alive and so we're going to try to rotate a lot of these country kids through through this tech that program that you know a percentage of them will say I want to go home to that small town and do what I grew up doing and it's a pretty neat deal, and it's happening, and that's another thing that's going to be right west. We've got the vet clinic and the Hereford vet supply, and it's on the immediate property west of that is where that facility is going to 
that's kind of an exciting time to to see that and 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 that's all industry supported and you know we're going to utilize uh veterinary work out of out of a lot of the feed yards here to let these students have hands on things that while I was in school we only got told about they're going to have the opportunity to to do a lot of procedures because of the availability of the cattle numbers right here and so professionally that's an exciting thing that's going on right now too outside of this whole cattle selling business yeah you bet no that that is incredible i don't know anywhere in the country where something like that exists actually so that is all awesome. well, there's, there's not many places you have access to the cattle numbers on a daily basis that we'll have that that these students can get their hands on and uh you know I did my first c section on a real cow with a real owner and everything else, and you know these students will be able to be involved with multiple C-sections, water bellies, you know, you name it, we're going to have access to a caseload that we can keep them hands-on instead of just sitting listening and being rookies when they get out of school maybe. You know, we'd, we'd rather them have some experience and some want to go back to these communities that are underserved right now. And... Uh, and that's going to be exciting for the producers out there that can't always get a C-section tended to at night without driving two and a half hours somewhere, you know. Right. No, but, that's for sure. So tell us, um, tell us, Doc, you know, you got your steer sale coming up. I guess um, I'd want to give you this time to, just tell our audience and maybe some people that have never been there, you know, you kind of touched on where to eat and stay. Let us know about yeah. some other stuff in the area for them to do um, or look into. But I guess I just want to give you this time to uh, go ahead and put your, your personal signature on this and um, yeah. well, invite we're selling. people out and give them, you know, give them the details. Yeah, come come to the West Texas sale weekend. I believe day's sale is uh, tomorrow night in Leveland. That's how it's usually scheduled uh, is on Friday evening. And and then our sale's at 1 o'clock here in Hereford on Saturday. And following that sale, Brian Martin's having his sale. And I, I'm not sure about the Lubbock sales, but there's usually some activities in Lubbock for people headed heading back down the state uh it's a big weekend a lot of good cattle to look at i believe we're selling 98 steers or 97 steers one bull and 24 heifers i believe and on the heifer end of this uh, <clears throat> we bring the <clears throat> we bring the best ones to town and if we don't get one sold those those will go back his breads in the donors unlimited sale when they're older and and but we always offer opportunity to buy some of these quote keeping heifers up front 
and and we lose a lot of the good ones every year that that sell right off the cow. But that's an opportunity to buyers to have a shot at some of these early in life. And, and the steer end, I don't know that I remember as good a steer's way down the order as we've got this year. I was I was sorting sale order yesterday, and I thought, how did one like this end up all the way down in the next to the last pin? He would have normally been right up there kissing on the the sale order right behind the, the top group and but that's that's how the quality's laid in this year. They're they're good, they're deep and a lot of color. Uh got some top end blacks, got a lot of colored calves, fair number of short horns and and uh I think quality that will compete and uh you know we're gonna try to sell an honest set of cattle mention everything we know about that's negative before they sell and you know honestly just try to treat people like we want to be treated and and, and be right with every everybody uh and have a have a good have a good clean sale and get these cattle moved to new homes you bet well dr mims we really, really appreciate you taking time yeah. out of a super hectic schedule to visit with us. Yeah. And, uh, guys, if you've never been to Hereford, or especially if you've never been to Dr. Mims's operation, I would strongly encourage you, if it works into your travel plans or scheduling, get down there and give this place a look. Um, they got a lot of really good stuff going on, a lot of history in that cow herd and the legacy of quality well surpasses um, the, the geography where you're located, Dr. Mims. So, hey, thanks again for taking some time. And, uh, man, that was some good stuff there, the, the history of everything. So we really appreciate it. Best of luck at your you sale. You bet. Thanks and, for uh, that. You bet. And for the audience listening, guys, it's your chance to uh, be part of that legacy. So. We're going to sign off. I know Matt's uh, putting in a lot of road time right now trying to get door-to-door -door with everybody. Um, the sale is so. on CTI Live, and the videos are up on YouTube right now. So they, the, they'll, they will sell online, too, on CCI Live. So anybody listening can go look there or go to YouTube, Mims Cattle, and all the videos on the on the cattle in the sale are available for viewing right now in sale order. Okay, perfect, perfect. Well, Dr. Mims, we appreciate it. I, I thoroughly enjoyed this, and uh, guys, too. take advantage here. All right. So, Thank you. Hey, you bet. Yeah. Have a good day. All right.